good morning, Westview Community Church. How are you all this wonderful morning? Good, good to see your smiling faces. I am Wayne Hobson, one of the pastors here at Westview, and we want to welcome you to week six of the sermon series, A Mile in Their Shoes. That's where we take a look at biblical characters. Those biblical characters whose lives and whose stories we can not only empathize with, but learn lessons from. We started off this series talking about Cornelius. We talked about Barabbas, the woman with the issue of blood, Balaam. We talked even about Mary Magdalene. And this week, we'll talk about someone who has an association with the gentleman you just saw in the video. That young man's name is Usain Bolt, the fastest man alive. He is so fast that once the gun goes off and he starts running, for the rest of that race, all you'll see is the back of his head. <laughs> and Usain wears a particular running shoe. I think we have a picture of it. Yeah, those are pumas, like the animal. And on Usain's shoes, he has two words, fastest, and on the other side of the other shoe, forever. Now, he has a great deal with Puma, the shoe company. And wearing those shoes, they're paying him $10 million for as long as he wears those shoes. $10 million a year. Yeah. Plus another endorsement fee of $4 million on top of that. Now, up until this year, he has been declared the fastest man running. And he has a lot in common, to some extent, with our character this morning. So whether you're joining us here in person or on Facebook Live, we invite you to turn to the book of 1 Kings. That's the 11th book in the Old Testament. 1 Kings chapter 19. And we want you to stay there for a little bit because we're going to unpack a story because our character this morning, in alignment with the idea of running shoes, our character is Elijah, Elijah the prophet. Now, before we delve into what happens in 1 Kings chapter 19, I need to unpack what's happened just before, what precedes this chapter, because earlier in 1 Kings, Elijah is coming up against two of the most well-known and infamous characters in all of Scripture, King Ahab of Israel and his wife Jezebel. And of course, her name has never been associated with anything good. Now, 
Jezebel had coerced Ahab into leading Israel into idolatry. They had already been down that road before. But in this situation, Jezebel had gotten Israel caught up in worshiping the false god Baal. And she had with her 450 false prophets of Baal. And in chapter 18, Elijah has a showdown with these false prophets. They meet at a place called Mount Carmel. And Elijah summons them there and says, let's see whose God is God. Whether Yahweh, the God of Israel, or Baal. And so what he does is, he says, I'll give you some time to call upon Baal because the fire from the God who answers is the true God. So call down on Baal and if fire comes and he answers by fire, he's God. But if not, and if Yahweh answers by fire, then Yahweh is God. Well, you know what happened, don't you? Yeah. These people gathered together, these worshipers of Baal, and called on him all day and into the night. And Elijah kind of has a little bit of fun with them along the way because when Baal doesn't answer, Elijah jokes with them and says, oh, maybe he's asleep. Oh, maybe he's on vacation. You need to call him louder. He can't hear you from where he is. And they work up such a frenzy that they take out weapons and begin to cut themselves, to bleed and plead. But as you would assume, no answer. Then Elijah commands for an altar to be built. He commands this altar to be built and he takes the oxen as a sacrifice and lays the pieces of the oxen out on top of the altar. Then he commands for a trench to be built all around this altar. And then he commands for it to be filled with water. Then he calls upon the name of the Lord, and just as you would guess, God immediately answers, and fire comes down from heaven, consumes the offering, and turns it into a burnt offering. But not only that, God causes the fire to lick up the water in the trench, just to prove without a shadow of a doubt that God is God. And so when this happens and it's proven that Yahweh is the one and only true God, Elijah then orders for the false prophets, 450 of them, to be killed by the sword. And so he and the people gather and kill these 
false prophets. And now when we get to chapter 19, Jezebel, when she hears from Ahab all that happened, wants to take Elijah's life. Make no mistake, friends, that there is often a repercussion for righteousness. And so as we go into chapter 19, let's see what happens. Starting at verse 1, and we're going to kind of unpack this little by little. It says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and now and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I don't make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. When he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. And he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a juniper tree. And as he sat down under that juniper tree, then he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, O Yahweh, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. He lay down and slept under a juniper tree. And behold, an angel of the Lord touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. He looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on the coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. Yahweh's angel came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. Keep in mind that phrase, the journey. So we need to unpack all of this, because a lot has just happened. So Elijah sees a note from a messenger from Jezebel declaring that she will kill him by tomorrow and make him as dead as the 450 prophets. So Elijah runs as fast as he can, like Usain Bolt from Jamaica. He runs into the wilderness a day's journey and gets to a juniper tree. And once he gets to that tree, he says to God, take away my life. Wait a minute. That doesn't quite make sense, does it? Because he's running for his life. And then when he gets to the juniper tree, he says, Lord, take away my life. 
It's because he would rather leave himself in the hands of God to let God take away his life than to trust what would happen if he stayed around Jezebel. So in this moment, he's ready to give up. He's run out. Just like some of us sometimes in life. You see, we're always running. We either are running to something or we're running away from something. In this case, here is Elijah running to this juniper tree into the wilderness, but he's running away from the hands of Jezebel. And just like Elijah running, so do we in our lives run. We're either running early or running late. We're running into trouble, running from disaster. We're always running in some situation. We don't even realize that our lives are based on heroin. We're always in a hurry. We don't even realize that we're missing something along the way. And so Elijah discovers something along the way. Let's pick up where we left off. Because remember now, the angel of God has just provided for Elijah. Elijah wanted to give up, but that's when God gives out. At the moment when Elijah is done, God is just beginning. And now this angel has told him the first time, get up and eat. Elijah does. But instead of looking forward to something else, Elijah goes back to sleep. He still is ready to die. That's when God sends the angel a second time. And this time he says, get up and eat. But when he gets up and eat, this time the angel says, the journey is too great for you to make it on an empty stomach. He's got to go somewhere. And so now, when we pick up at verse 8, he arose and ate and drank, and the word that was strengthening him from the angel, as the scripture tells us now, caused him to go on 40 days and 40 nights. And he journeys to Horeb. So the scripture tells us that on the strength of that food, he went 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, God's Mountain. He came to a cave there and camped there. And behold, Yahweh's word came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He traveled 40 days and 40 nights 
to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. You may know that name, Mount Horeb, by another name. You see, there were two sides of that mountain. One side was called Horeb. The other side was called Mount Sinai. Yeah, the place that God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And it's by no sheer coincidence that Moses was at Mount Sinai receiving those commandments for 40 days and 40 nights. The same length of time that Elijah was able to journey on one meal. Elijah gets to that mountain, and as he gets there, God speaks and asks him a question. What are you doing here, Elijah? You see, that mountain was the home of God. And essentially, maybe God was asking him, Elijah, what are you doing in my house? And let's look at what Elijah's answer is. In verse 10, he said, I have been very jealous for Yahweh, the God of armies, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Here Elijah is saying to God, I am the one servant you have left that you can depend on. And Elijah intends now to stay there. It is his hope that even if God doesn't take his life, he can run on by staying there in God's house and run up God's bills. In the midst of this, Elijah misses something. Because yes, you and I are always running to or away from something, but God always wants us to run to him. So Elijah does the right thing, but he does it perhaps with the wrong intent. Because let's see what happens after God has spoken to him. In verse 11, God said, go out and stand on the mountain before Yahweh. Behold, Yahweh passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before Yahweh. But Yahweh was not in the wind. And after the wind was an earthquake, but Yahweh was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire passed, but Yahweh was not in the fire. After the fire, there was a still, small voice. Oh, we have to unpack that. You see, 
here were these three major signs, a mighty wind, an earthquake, and a fire. But the scripture tells us that God was not in any of those three things. Many of us look for God to do a big, magnanimous act. We want to see the thunder and lightning. We want to see the fire come down from heaven and see a mighty wind destroy the rocks and the mountains around us. We want to see God do something big. But the scripture said God wasn't in those things. Sometimes we look to God for the wrong reasons, and sometimes we even look to God to do the wrong thing. Meaning, we want a sign, we want a miracle, we want this, we want that. But that's not how God wants us to know him. He wants us to know his character. Because in his character is the still small voice. That's what God wants us to reference him by. Because Jesus, in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, said, My sheep know my voice, and another they will not follow. That's what God wants us to know. The big miracles, the big signs and wonders, that's just to get our attention. But that's not God's message. That's his method, but not the message. Because for each of us, as we run on in life, we look for signs along the way. But we don't always pay attention to the path we're on. And so Elijah sees these three things, and God is not in any of them. Instead, the still small voice speaks. And listen to what it says, verse 13. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for Yahweh, the God of armies, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I, even I only, am left, and they seek to take my life. Well, at least Elijah is consistent. Because he gives the same exact answer. But as we're about to see, God does not. Because for many of us, we are so used to running that we run on empty. And when we run, we run in a circle. Much like Usain Bolt in the video. And we run on in this circle and we think that we are accomplishing what God has for us. And we sometimes miss the fact 
that God wants to repurpose us. We think, like Elijah did, that because I am doing the will of God, that's all I need to do. But God is saying that there is more for you than just that. Because my will is bigger than your way. We run on our way, but God's will is bigger than that. And Elijah was missing it. That's why he gives the same answer twice. He's being honest with God, but not with himself. Even for us, when we pray and when we seek God, maybe we're being honest with God, but not necessarily with ourselves. Because look what happens next. Verse 15 and 16, Yahweh said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, anoint Heziel to be king over Syria. Anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, to be king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Mahola, to be prophet in your place. Here Elijah was running away. But instead, as he hides in this cave, God chooses to send him away. We're running, but God intends to send. Because when we're running, we have no idea of what the mission is we're really, really running for. Because we have no idea what the end shall be. And one of our biggest mistakes as human beings is to run on empty and then think that we will arrive. Here's what I mean by that. You see, we want our lives to be like a trip. But God wants our lives to be like a journey. Big difference between the two. You see, when you're on a trip, you just want to reach your destination. But when you're on a journey, and when God sends you on a journey, he intends for you to pay attention to the things that happen along the way. We miss God, and we would miss God altogether if we just took a trip. If our lives were just at the point of saying, I've got my education, I've got the car, I've got the wife or the husband, I've got the children, I've got the house, I've got the career, I've got the golf clubs, I've got the golf cart, I've got everything in life to make me happy, I've got the grandchildren. And we think that's our destination. It is not. The purpose 
of our lives is to continue on telling the story of God. And God continues to tell our lives over and over and over again. Elijah thought when he got to Mount Horeb, he had arrived. And God says, no, go. There's more to your life than just staying here. There's more to your life than being comfortable. And Elijah was more than likely an elderly man at this point because when you go back to what Elijah first said about, I am no better than my father's, he probably meant that his life was going to come to an end anyway, and he thought he was done. That's the problem with our lives being like a trip. When we think we've arrived, we also think we're done. But God is never done with us. Proof of that is the scriptures themselves. The scriptures themselves are all full of men and women, Abraham and Sarah, Moses, Peter, Paul, Mary Magdalene, the woman with the issue of blood, Barabbas, Ahab, and Jezebel. And they're all dead. And yet, we keep learning from their stories over and over and over again. Whenever we read the stories of Peter and Paul, we see in our own lives how their lives come to life before our eyes. That's the purpose of the scriptures. When we look at Elijah, we should see in our own lives that just as Elijah thought he was done and then God repurposes his life, it's the same for you and I. Whether we're at the beginning of our lives, whether we're in the middle or at the end. The end of your life is not the end of your story. That's the purpose of the journey because God, even from here to eternity in heaven, keeps telling our story over and over and over again. You may be done with God, but God is never done with you. Amen. Let's pray. So, Father, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for all that you are, for all that you do, for all that you provide. And as we go into this time of offering, Father, we thank you because no matter where we are in life, you always have a purpose for us that exceeds our expectations and our imaginations. And we pray in during this time of offering, as we give our times and offerings, we also give ourselves to you anew so that we can run on and see 
the never-ending story that you have created within each and every one of us. We pray that as a church body, we would continue on seeing your purpose for us and in us fulfilled. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.